This horizontal conversation with James Ledbitter, aka The Vacuum Cleaner, was recorded for Mayfest 2022. The Vacuum Cleaner is an artist and activist. Drawing on his experience of mental health disability, he is interested in better ways to go mad. The Vacuum Cleaner has created one-man interventions and large-scale actions, as well as performance installation and film. His work is candid, provocative and playful. In this conversation, we talk about his show Exposure, which is based on interviews filmed with 47 health workers in Newham about the first wave of the pandemic. We recorded this conversation in the set of the show at Arnolfini Gallery, ahead of a performance of Exposure. The set design is by Sasha Gilmore, and the front rows aren't seats. They are a soft space with cushions and blankets and a big jute rug so that you can lie down to see the show. We talk about how James works with care in the making of his work and in how he thinks about care in relationship to audience experience. We also talk about the politics of rest and care. We invite you to find somewhere to lie down, to take some time out and listen to this conversation and we hope that you enjoy it. I've been following your work for years, and um, and well, I'm really there's 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 loads of things that I'm really drawn to about your work, but I really appreciate the way you um, challenge narratives, um, and and the the way you like speak and present um, like your story or other narratives. Um, and also how much you think about care of the audience in your in your performances, because um, it feels like the shows you do have a real radical honesty to them. And then thinking about how you care for the audience. So there's and and the spaces that you create feel to me like uh, resting spaces or, or or kind of non-normative spaces, pockets where you can mm. be different in. Cool. <laughs> <Do> you, <laughs> so, so, I mean, how did you come to those things? Or like, when did you first start to uh, think about care for the audience or, or creating these different spaces to be in? Um, so, thinking about the participant or the audience, so June Lin Go, do you know June Lin? Mm-hmm. Who used to be one of the curators at In Between Time. Oh yes, I do. Yes, yes. Who now does um, Magrits in Culture. Mm-hmm. Um, who I have a lot of respect for. Um, so she was helping me make a piece called Mental um, in like 2012 or something and I showed her a version of it and she said it's too much (laughs) (laughs) and I said well I hear what you're saying but it's not too much because that's my life and that's the lives of many people Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to censor that 
And she was like, yeah, fair enough, but you need to think about what that's like for the viewer. And it was just one of those like throwaway curatorial conversations you have with the curator, like a good curator, do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and so that started off a train of thought around um, yeah, like how do you feel when you walk out of something um, and, that, and that process has just evolved more over time. Mm. Um, and that is in where? That's just about testing things though, isn't it? So, so what do you, what, what do you do for audiences in mental and what do you, yeah, do for audiences in exposure? Well, I think let's, uh, exposure is probably a better example because mm -hmm. it's more evolved. Mm -hmm. um, so we do all the standard stuff, like we, you do a little content warning, um, but so firstly we think about the sensors so in like trauma-informed models of care um, a lot of the th practice in that world that I'm quite interested in is actually about the sensors so if if we ignore so mind-body is one thing, yeah. and we experience trauma through the body as much as the mind. Mm -hmm. So, and we experience the world through our senses, like my two-year-old puts things in her mouth hmm. to, to figure them out, do you know what I mean? Mm. She's using her, all of her senses to do that. So, um, we use the sense of smell a lot and the sense of touch. So, we serve chai tea because hmm. um, Sasha, uh, Sasha's mum's side of the family are Mauritian. So there's that. So there's this kind of sweet, spicy tea, milky tea thing. Um, and when I was filming, because of the pieces, everybody's from Newham or works in Newham, sorry. Mm. So obviously that's a big South Asian population. And when I'd say, when you're doing the filming thing and you do the, what did you have for breakfast question to get mm. the sound levels right, everybody would say I had milk tea. So I was like, oh, okay, that's like a thing. So let's bring that into the piece. And then Sasha's like, yeah, like uh, this is my, I think it, there was some connection there. Mm. So there's that kind of like, that sensory thing we give, um, I think when I was making it, kind of became aware about how young people use a lot of fidget toys. Mm. So we give the audience coriander to pluck all the way through the show. It becomes part of the piece later on. So you have something to do with your hands. Mm. Um, and we give the audience a piece of fruit. So there's a bit where you hear about the health workers' experience of people dying mm -hmm. and what it was like for them, you know, holding hands through pairs of gloves, the loss of humanity, the loss of touch mm -hmm. in care. Um, and that bit, that bit is a lot. 
And so you get a piece of fruit afterwards just to eat. Mm. And you can just take that moment to eat that piece of fruit. Um, and then obviously the space in Newham, we showed it in community centres. So that has a particular aesthetic to it. I mean, we're in the Arnolfini now. Mm. And that, like, I think now we're like, let's not do it in this kind of space again, because it's black and dark and theatrical, mm. rather than like, um, not that community centres are earthy, but do you know what I mean? It has like a, it belongs to a group of people. And you can feel that when you're in there because things are broken or things are patched together and there's a beauty in that. Mm. Um, we've thought a lot about pace and rhythm. So there's pauses in it. So you might watch a section and then there's a gap for four minutes and nothing happens. Mm. So you can digest and mm. you can sit with it. And those feelings can process in your body. Mm. Um, <coughs> Rhiannon Armstrong, who did the sound design, mm. who's brilliant, like they're really amazing. So they recorded a lot of bird song in Newham during lockdown. So that kind of underscores a lot of those gaps. Mm. Um, and and then there's also the structuring of the piece, and I think that was the same in Mental. Um, <clears throat> the structuring doesn't really make sense because normally. The rule is you put your best material at the end, your second best material at the beginning, mm. it doesn't really matter what goes in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's the rule. That's kind of gone out the window with us. All our best material's in the middle. Ah. It's quite gentle at the beginning, and you're like, after like 20 minutes, like, well, where's this going? Mm. Uh, and then a lot of the material that can be challenging to hear mm -hmm. is in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the material that is um, reflective mm -hmm. or there is beauty in it because we're talking about togetherness or solidarity mm -hmm. or imagining a different future is at the end mm -hmm. so you kind of like that structuring holds the difficult material in the middle so you're not leaving like having heard about very distressing you know mm. material mm. Um, obviously it's a relaxed event so you can just walk out Mm. Um, is every event relaxed is it um, well I mean let's I think we need to be really honest it's not relaxed in the like Tourette's here or sense of relaxed yeah um, it is perhaps like relaxed light <laughs> if that's a fair term to use yeah like we say to the audience you can walk around you can walk out you can come back in mm. but we also ask that you are really mindful of other people's viewing experience. Mm. And generally when we show exposure, people are really respectful of, because it is about bearing witness. Mm -hmm. And so, but equally, if somebody wants to step out and go to the loo and come back in again, that's totally fine. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, or people do, will talk to each other a little bit or, and that's all fine. Um, and then we have a mental health nurse. So Fox Irving, who's an artist, a really brilliant artist, but also their main job is as a mental health nurse. So they come on the stage at the beginning and they say, hello, I'm a mental health nurse and I'm here for you. And if you need to step out, if you're, you know, if you're having a wobble, there's a little 
space you can sit with Fox and Fox can hold you in that space, can think about what's going to happen for the rest of your day. So where are you going? Who's at home? Mm -hmm. um, who can you reach out to for support? Um, and particularly when we showed it in Newham, because we had a lot of health workers coming, there was some referring on to trauma services. Um, mm -hmm. And again, that it's not really used very much. And my producer is like, it's really expensive, James, <laughs> to bring a mental health nurse. <laughs> and like in Newham, I think we did like 12 presentations of it. And we had like, maybe Fox was used like three times. But there's something about the holding of mm. that offer, mm. that then you don't need it because the offer is made. Yeah. But equally, we had a nurse who'd been redeployed to the intensive care unit at Newham and came to see it and hadn't talked about what they'd seen and been through and lost it. And Fox was there mm. and Fox held them in that space. And for quite a while actually, and we were like, where's Fox? And we were like, oh no, they're still in that room. Okay, we need to just be patient and wait. Um, it, yeah, it, that, um, it makes me think that they, you know, those things that you put around um, uh, a project or an event, even if they're not used, sometimes just yeah. Yeah, them being there means that it's possible for somebody yeah. to attend. So like the rest and spaces that we've created at Bristol Old Vic, yeah. it might be that people don't use them, but that they but knowing that they're there yeah. means that they might yes. venture to the theatre that yes. night, even if they are fatigued or they are experiencing a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, but so it's hard. I don't. I don't even. It's hard to make the case for it, if if it if um, you know from a kind of money point of view, if it feels underused. But though I think I think you're right. Those things hold something in mm. in a certain way, so that even if they're not used, they're important. Their presence is really important. Um, yeah. The uh, I did. I run this. I ran this project as well called the Cloud Spotters uh, Book Club, which was kind of like an online space for anybody who was um, like navigating chronic illness um, at, as like a, a space to gently pause and think about alternative narratives to the mainstream ones about health and mm. illness and productivity and value. And we had a counsellor attached to that project so that um, we could only offer everybody two sessions, mm -hmm. but, um, and, and at first people, people didn't take up the offer, but there was something about um, him being part of that, 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 that made it feel super held. Yeah. Um, so, so like you say, if somebody had had a really, a really bad episode or been really triggered by something someone else said in the, in the session that there was, a clear person to go to and somebody who's like skilled and knows mm. how to how to access services and refer on if if need be um and it and and that wasn't necessary but it yeah it felt like an important important part of the project um with exposure mm. so the other thing we've been trying to figure out is actually so we had oversight therapy when we were filming it what's that so that's like what a therapist would have or a psychologist would have. So every therapist, every psychologist sees a psychologist or a therapist. Ah, like a supervisor. Like yeah, supervision. supervision. Mm. 
So, and I've started working with this really brilliant woman, Stephanie. So we started seeing her before we started filming. And that felt, and that was accidental, but that felt really brilliant because actually what that did is she was saying, before we'd even met a health worker and started filming, her questions were about what are our coping strategies? Mm -hmm. How do you get on with the rest of your life? How do you allow space for those feelings, but also be able to cook your dinner, mm. watch some shit TV, mm. do childcare, whatever. Mm. So that felt something quite important that it's actually not about, it's not a responsive thing, it's a preemptive thing. Mm. So that, and we would do that individually and also collectively. So we'd work together as a group. So Becky Summerling, who was producing the interviews, mm. we would sit together and she would often sit in the interviews and we would know each other's coping strategies. So we'd know, okay, the interview finishes. Um, obviously we're checking in with the contributor. Um, we're getting them in a taxi back to wherever they're going. We're, we, you know, we paid for their childcare, things like that. We were referring them on to psychological support. But also then it's like, we get out the room as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. We go for a walk for 20 minutes or we'd go for a swim. Um, <clears throat> we would not do emails in the evening, all that kind of stuff, but we'd also check in with each other. Um, we'd make sure that we had snacks, you know, all those little things, but that was put in place in advance. And that's kind of seeped into other projects. Uh, that I've been doing over the last year, and that feels important. Mm. That's, would you call, would you call that like your care strategy for your for your team? Or um, it's an approach, mm -hmm. yes, but that has to be responsive to the individual's needs and approach to it because. I've been working with somebody else recently who said, I'm done with talking. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do like talking therapy, I'm done with it. Uh, and then a few days later, they turned around and said, can I go for a massage? And I was like, yeah. Like if you would rather use that portion of the budget to go and get a massage, yeah, great, Yeah, do that. So I well, think it's the offer of it. Mm. I'm working with people to figure out what that offer is for them. What's that line called in your budget? Access. Access, okay. <laughs> Access budget. <laughs> dear, dear Arts Council. <laughs> but that, I mean, and, and then the other thing is paid rest days. Right. So everybody gets paid rest days. Mm. Um, That's amazing. How, how, like, how often do you? Do you not do that? No. Oh my God, you need to do that. Yeah. So that started so the other big project I've been working on for a long time is the Model of a Designer Asylum project. Mm. And we, that's the project about imagining like utopian mental health spaces. And we were doing research <clears throat> in a men's high security mental health hospital. It was like super, super intense. Mm. And Hannah Hull, who was working on that with me, suggested that the day after we go to work in the hospital, we shouldn't work. Mm. And then I was like, yes, but we need to earn money. 
and I think we were, they were just kind of jokingly stumbled on the idea of like, well, we should be paid to rest. And then we were like, actually, that's not a bad idea. So now on a lot of projects, you, would, you are allocated a certain amount of paid rest days because, um, and it's really difficult. When people come into a project, they're like, oh, okay. So on that day, I just do my emails and catch up. And they're like, no, 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 no. Mm. You don't work and you get paid because mm. you're mm. being paid to rest. So you don't have to worry about money that day. Mm. Um, and the Arts Council have been all right with that. Great. That that sounds similar to something Rosanna does about um, yeah with with paid paid rest days for for the young artists yeah. she's working with. Um, I don't know why I haven't done that yet. That sounds amazing. Yeah, especially after an in, uh, an intense period of, yeah. of working to to take the time to yeah to gather and 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 do what you need to be well before you sort of and and people on PAYE get time in lieu, don't they? Mm. So it's just like that for freelancers, mm. you know. Mm. It can be really hard to to do. D does it? Is it? Is it a hard thing to sort of negotiate with your producers or? No, 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 no. Not no. with the producers, but with. Oh, what hard to actually do the rest? It's hard. It's hard to go like yeah. allow yourself. Yeah. Because you go well. I don't have to work today. But I also have so much catching up to do. Mm. Um, it's got easier for me since becoming a parent mm. um, because there's just the joy of parenting mm. that I'm like craving um, and also easier since moving out of London and living by the sea because mm. you're like wow I'm going to go swim in the sea yeah. and like that's yeah. fucking amazing yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That sounds like a great model. I think what I'm something I'm really interested in in these conversations is, yeah, kind of pooling the knowledge of what we're all doing together, so mm. that you know maybe we don't have to, you know, learn them those things by ourselves. Yeah. We can sort of dream what a kind of more like restful way of working is, or what a more cared for way of working is um, together. I also somehow attribute resting and dream time because mm. as an artist it's really difficult to have time to think um, and so often what happens if I'm not working it's actually just like thinking or looking about thi at things and having the time to kind of do all of that stuff mm. or oh, I've observed that thing over there there's kind of like the politics around rest uh, and this is like the big question I'm going through at the moment. There's the politics of rest and care and la 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 la. Mm. And then there is COVID-19 pandemic, children, young people's mental health, utter shit show, mm. like really distressing. Mm. Complete collapse of ecological systems, Tories. So there's this huge crisis and then there's the need to rest. Yes. How do you put those two together? Yes. Can you figure that one out for me? I'd love to know the answer to that. I mean, Rosanna was saying a similar thing because she f works in, uh, in she's, well, she would say, I think, that she has one foot in activism. Yeah. And that in those spaces, the sense of urgency means mm. it is very difficult mm. to rest. 
um, and also there's a kind of cultural assumption that in those spaces you give everything, mm. like absolutely everything you can because of the urgency, I mm. guess. Um, and she was also wondering how how you how yeah how you square those things and I and and does my rest always mean that somebody else has to pick up the work like is it, yeah. is that is that what has to happen in a system or like can we build in enough flex yeah. somehow um she she's working on a model uh, for institutions where there is a designated care coordinator mm. so somebody who's kind of trained to be there to to provide care for the team yeah uh, and for the artists uh, and for the, all those different processes but that's something she's like researching at the moment um yeah i don't know how what, what would you say are the politics of rest and care i think i know what you mean when you say that but i'm i, I wonder if what i think is different to what you think um Well, I think it's intuitively linked to Sins Invalid's disability justice thing. Can, can you say a bit more about that? Do you know about the Disability Justice Manifesto uh, by Sins Invalid by, um, is it Lona? I can't uh, brain freeze. I don't know. I don't think I know it. Okay. So that's going to completely blow your mind. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Yeah. And I get a bit like frustrated why the disability art scene in the UK is not all over it. Like we're still talking about access and I'm like, like access is important, but it goes way beyond access. Um, so the, the 10 point, so even the notion of disability justice, right? Mm. Mm. Mental health justice, rest justice, mm -hmm. care justice. Mm. So it's not about access into a broken system. Yes. I don't want access into a broken system. I want to fucking dismantle that system yeah. and build something in a just way. Yes. In a caring way, in a restful way. And in that manifesto, which is made by Sins Invalid, which is a West Coast American performance company, um, <clears throat> They have the idea of leadership of the most impacted, um, which is such a beautiful idea. And I think that is something I'm trying to explore around young people and mental health. Mm. So if we are a movement of like mad pride, mad justice, like neurodiverse, like, um, whatever mm. the politics around that mm. how and if and the most impacted in that sphere are young people particularly trans young people black south asian and all that other intersectional shit mainstream dominant culture crap yes right how can those young people lead mm -hmm. that and if we can build organizing structures aesthetic approaches, care structures, rest structures that can support that group of people to lead. Mm. Um, there's something 
there's real radical potential in that. Yes, yes. So I used to do really hardcore activism, like uh, Descend Against the G8, Wombles, Climate Camp, where there was a culture of burnout, of like tyranny of structurelessness, mm. and um, <clears throat> uh, and we got shit done. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we really got some shit done. Yeah. And then we like all got burnt out, or like we found out all our mates were co spy cops, and we never dealt with it, and everything fell oh, apart. Shit. Right. So, um, the politics of rest, the politics of care, is intuitively anti-capitalist. Mm -hmm. Is intuitively mutual, because mm -hmm. I'm also like self-care can get to fuck. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in mutual care. Mm -hmm. Like, so if we are, if people with lived experience of all forms of disability and exclusion and dominant culture bullshit mm. can support each other yes. and meet each other where we are and validate each other's experiences and, and listen, um, then that is an intuitively anti-capitalist politic mm. because it removes competition yes it is actually it's horizontal it's horizontal organizing yes right yes because um and it's intersectional we're so we're saying this is your experience this is my experience and here's the venn diagram where we're all meeting and we don't all have to agree of everything but um uh and we're celebrating call out culture and we're celebrating, challenging each other and learning together and yes, all that kind of yes. stuff, right? Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's really complex. Mm. And so the other thing I've really been thinking about in relationship to all of this is Fred Hampton's Rainbow Coalition. So Fred Hampton was one of the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. He was killed, murdered. And he had the idea that the Black Panthers and the Young Lords and different racialized groups in America should actually work together under a rainbow coalition. Mm. And that there was quite difference in their politics, but actually them working together was really powerful. Mm. So, um, leadership of the most impacted. Yes. Coalitions. Um, and working in safe and sustainable ways mm -hmm. is is a thing. Yes. Um, I wanted to just ask about so the working with the people most impacted. Yes. What you're doing now, like in your next project with with young people, with the 2.8 million. 2.8 million minds and also with uh, a project called For They Let In The Light, which I'm doing with Chisholm Hill Gallery. So, uh, yeah, For They Let In The Light is the partner piece to Exposure. Mm -hmm. So that was, it's a film piece that, um, Exposure is about healthcare workers in Newham. Mm. For They Let In The Light is about young people in a acute mental health hospital in Newham mm -hmm. during the same time period around COVID. I see. Yeah. Mm. 
and you're training those young people to to be able to train organizations to be more caring spaces did i understand that right um or facilitating is what the art world mm -hmm. some of the art world to be fair and government and policy people and the nhs want is for co-production co-creation mm. and i'm like yeah not so interested in that mm -hmm. <laughs> um, i'm i mean i i yeah i co-creation often isn't co-creation um but what what are you interested in then is it kind of takeover dismantle and yeah, take over which is what i'm dis dismantle yeah. yeah i mean it's literally on my t-shirt right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is um, <laughs> power people with power don't cede power willingly mm. it's taken mm. now i'm not so interested in in the violence of revolutions I've been in riots, I've been in things like that, and, and I don't, I'm never gonna say to somebody, you can't defend yourself. I'm never gonna say to those young people that rioted in Tottenham that you can't defend yourself because they have every right to do that. But, um, yeah, like, the Tories aren't going to cede power to mm. disabled children. Mm. <laughs> They're mm. not. Mm. So, is it possible for disabled people or anybody else that experiences dominant culture bullshit to create alternatives that are so seductive mm. and so affirmative and so beautiful mm. that everybody's like, cool, let's do that, mm. right? because mm. why would we do anything other than that yes yeah it's making the revolution irresistible yeah it's exactly that piece, it's yeah. that whole thing yeah. so yeah um which yeah there's something you said earlier about like the the beauty because i think um i found that with cloud spotting uh we were telling stories that were quite difficult to hear yeah and i guess our part of our strategy for caring for the audience was this invitation that the audience rest while they listen so that they're hearing stories about people's attempts to rest in public whilst they are also themselves resting um and that that seemed to work uh so that so that people pe people resting and being more vulnerable seemed like they could then open to stories that were maybe difficult to hear at times mm. But um, they were also very held by the music, which sort of really beautifully duets with the stories. Um, and but yeah, at, at the end of both, there's an installation version and a performance version. And I guess the ending of both is more hopeful or is more kind of um, draws attention to, to, to the beauty um, that is possible within even very difficult experiences. Um, and so I, I just wanted to ask you something about that in, in the way that you do challenge narrative and, and use different narratives um, 
how you walk that line, I guess, between not turning away from what's difficult, but also um, making space for the joy and the poetic. Um, well, in terms of like not turning away from the difficult, mm. there are sometimes practical questions around what can and can't go into the public domain. Mm-hmm. So with exposure, there are things that I have been told that can't go into the public mm-hmm. domain and won't for a hundred years. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's patient confidentiality. Um, there are things that... Um, like, you have to go, like, who... Who, what is the benefit of showing this? Yes. Um, and equally, with the for the letting the light piece, there are just genuine safeguarding questions. Um, and then, when you are in a mental health hospital, it can be really funny and silly. <laughs> And you can make jokes about really inappropriate things. Mm. <laughs> and you're all there in this fucking horrible place. And there's an other than like patient staff power dynamic thing going on. And, you know, you're making jokes about how you're going to kill yourself and everybody's like trying to outdo each other. Uh, or like. Um, Oh, when you're at the bottom, you can make really inappropriate jokes. And what's really important is you're aware about who's in the room when you do that. You know, you're not doing that in front of an audience. Mm. There are things that I've happened in when making, where I'm like, I would never put that in front of an audience Mm. because people just wouldn't get it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But in this context, like that young person, I am giving them the license by modeling a certain way of talking about my mental health that gives them the license to go, actually, this is really fucking weird and surreal and like, what the fuck? And let's joke about it. Mm. And Mm. we can own that experience because we all have the experience to do it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's our experiences and we're claiming that and we're being playful with language and like, like the young, a lot of the young people I work with, there's all these like weird codes of badge of honor, like, oh, you've got uh, an ambulance blanket. So that means you were brought into the ha- hospital with a, on a, in an ambulance. Oh, has that got more kudos? Exactly, than, like, like, right, yeah. So, so <laughs> they can rip the shit out of the kid that doesn't have the ambulance blanket, right? right? But it's done with so much love, mm. do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like you're using humor to meet people with love and you're and then also just the beauty in in not being afraid of the reality of what's going on mm. and it's that uh what's that maya angelou quote there's nothing more sad than an untold story mm. or something like to be able to speak 
about what you've been through, of course is hard, mm. of course is painful, but just the fucking joyful release of like it. Mm. And the joyful release of then somebody going, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I hear you and I see you mm. and I feel it as well. And that, and I've been through it as well. And then you're like, that release can be really beautiful and joyful. Mm. Mm. And then also kind of having a dance at the end of it. <laughs> mm. oh, is that what you do in exposure? No. No, okay. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. In, in, just in, in life. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just oh, I don't know, just fucking think that your, the work you do is great and I can't wait to see exposure tomorrow. And ex yeah, exper that's, that'll be the first time that I experience your work firsthand rather than, is it? Rather than voyeuristically just following <laughs> you on the internet and like, you know. Right, um, right, so, right. Um, yeah, so I'm really, really excited about it. And um, thank you so much for taking I mean, it's not like, just so you know, yeah. it's like, it's not like this polished thing. Is that, I think that just to like end on, yeah. I think that's also part of the aesthetics of rest and care. There's actually a challenging of dominant aesthetics around, around art. Mm. That, that thing of, if it's a fabric and the, and the edges are fraying a little bit, that's actually an aesthetic that I'm really interested in. Mm. Where it's like, and that does come from disability culture where it's like, listen, it's amazing that I've even been able to get on stage. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is going to be a bit wobbly. Yeah. And like, not everything's perfect, and I might use a script at times, la, 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 la. But that beauty in that yeah. aesthetic. In, yes, in being, being able to sort of be exactly as you are. Yeah. It took me. It took me a while on on Cloudspotting when we when we like the first time that we actually had it up for and like <clears throat> for, for two weeks of performances in Coventry last year as part of uh, UK City of Culture, and it 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 took me the first week. Well, actually, it took me having a flare up mm. and then doing the show in a flare up to realise that the space was a crypt space and I could be I could. I could be however I needed to be in it, but yeah. actually that, that space was for that. So if I needed to, I don't know, if I needed to not climb up the ladder, if I needed to, to, to lie down next to the audience to do it, if it, it, yeah. would, it would all be okay. Yeah. Like however I was feeling yeah. was okay. And once I understood that, it was weird that I didn't get it from the beginning, but once I understood that it really, it, it, it changed the space for me. It changed the, and it changed the feeling of, of doing the show for me. Yeah, and the, and the beauty in that, in being able to, to think about, you know, performance as, as... As a form of vulnerability. Yeah, and being wherever you are, rather than yeah. kind of like sort of pushing something out. Um, yeah, forcing something. Or just presenting a very polished side of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't exist. <laughs> Thank you for having this conversation. That's all right. Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been brilliant. I've learnt a lot. Press stop. Press stop. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>
links to the people and projects mentioned in the show notes. And as an epilogue, I thought I would read the Sins Invalid manifesto that James mentioned, which really did blow my mind. So here are the 10 principles of disability justice written by Sins Invalid. Intersectionality. Audre Lorde said, we do not live single issue lives. Ableism, coupled with white supremacy, supported by capitalism, underscored by heteropatriarchy, has rendered the vast majority of the world invalid. Point two, leadership of those most impacted. Aurora Levins Morales said, we are led by those who most know these systems. Point three, anti-capitalist politic. In an economy that sees land and humans as components of profit, we are anti-capitalist by the nature of having non-conforming body minds. Point four, commitment to cross-movement organising, shifting how social justice movements understand disability and contextualise ableism, disability justice, and how that lends itself to politics of alliance. Point five, recognizing wholeness. People have inherent worth outside of commodity relations and capitalist notions of productivity. Each person is full of history and life experience. Point six, sustainability. We pace ourselves individually and collectively to be sustained long-term. Our embodied experiences guide us toward ongoing justice and liberation. Point seven, commitment to cross-disability solidarity. We honour the insights and participation of all of our community members, knowing that isolation undermines collective liberation. Interdependence. Point eight, we meet each other's needs as we build towards liberation, knowing that state solutions inevitably extend into further control of our lives. Point nine, collective access. As brown, black, and queer-bodied disabled people, we bring flexibility and creative nuance that go beyond able-bodied-minded normativity to be in community with each other. And point 10, collective liberation. No body or mind can be left behind. Only moving together can we accomplish the revolution we require. Thanks for listening today.